Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. World's changed so very much what it used to be. There's so much hatred, more in poverty. Wake up. everyone listening and those of all my uh, guests also a uh, happy holiday season a Merry Christmas uh, happy Kwanzaa and of course a happy new year if we don't talk to you or see you before then uh, wake up everybody is, is one of those songs that I play often as well as uh, uh, a couple other songs that I, I, I play quite often because certainly as I think about just the impact in the area of what we're dealing with uh, in this nation and under this current administration, I always wonder if people are really paying attention and if they are awake to understand the impact of what's happening socially, economically, and politically. Uh, and uh, that's the question. So that's that's why uh, I'm listening to Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes and saying, hey, everybody, wake up, pay attention, and, and look outside and uh, take the blinders off. Get the plugs out your ear. And pay attention to what's really going on so that you can understand what's happening and how it's impacted you. Uh, before I get started, as I typically do, I always pause and thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for just allowing me to host the show, to bless me with this platform, to bless me with the guests that I have each and every week, uh, the experts, the, the insight, the information that they provide and understanding. And I, I'm so grateful to them each and every uh, uh, week. And uh, every time I call upon them, they they give me, you know, yeah, sure, I can do it. Whether it's a day's notice, a week's notice, or an hour's notice, uh, they're, they're always there, and I, I greatly appreciate them uh, because I know that I can do this without them, and, and certainly I'd just be sitting here talking to myself, uh, as I've done before on days when I've been so riled up and so uh, just so pissed off about what's going on. I just had to have a, 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 
a me show just so I can vent and, and let it all go. But when I look back over 2019 and the impact on African-Americans, uh, we can still see the unarmed black people are being shot. We can still see that they're, you know, getting gunned down by white police officers. They're still having to be impacted by that. Uh, whereas we, I think her young um, Tatiana in, uh, I believe it was Houston, Texas or Dallas, Texas, this past summer sitting there watching TV with her nephew uh, police officer walks up to the window, peeks in, sees her, opens fire. Uh, she didn't do anything wrong. She's sitting in her house, and uh, this cop just goes and shoots her. Uh, and uh, fortunately, uh, the reaction by the chief of police and others was swift, where they fired him immediately, charged him with murder immediately, uh, and we have to wait to see the outcome of that. But when you think about that, it's still going on in 2019. White police officers killing unarmed black people, men, women, boys, and girls at alarming rates, and we still have nothing to show for it in terms of multiple convictions or uh, any uh, death penalty cases or anything like that, because these are police officers killing black folks who prosecutors feel are, well, they are making swift judgments. Well, if they can't make the swift judgment that it costs to save a life, then they certainly shouldn't be on the street. We also find in 2019, Congress swore in the most African-Americans in uh, um, uh, 55 uh, in, in congressional uh, history. Now, that's only 55 out of 535 in Congress. So it's, it's a large number in terms of where it's been, but it still pales in comparison to the white folks that sit in Congress and make, and make laws that certainly impact our lives each and every day, each and every week, each and every hour, and each and every year. Uh, 55 out of 535 is a small number uh, comparably, and unfortunately, a majority of those are coming from black communities or black neighborhoods, so naturally they would be elected. But certainly we need to do more in 2020 to get more African-Americans elected in our uh, city council, our state reps, our governorships, our lieutenant governorships, our uh, mayors in other areas uh, where we can have uh, a, a impact on the community as well as on uh, the lives of those that are, are coming up behind us, the generations that are coming up. And then we've seen a string of mass shootings by deranged white men proclaiming to be mentally ill or, or uh, in, in other cases, proclaiming that they are the, 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 the last Mohican and, and they're, you know, because they're white, they're, they're no longer uh, valuable or, or, or uh, relevant, which will be true in a couple of years. Um, but just as they used to treat black folks as being irrelevant, we're going to treat them the same way. Uh, and, and that's just, Hey, the way it should be, you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Uh, and yet we have, uh, still the Supreme court ruling that partisan, uh, IE for me, racial gerrymandering was legal. Partisan gerrymandering is legal now based on the Supreme court ruling. And what that says to me is that that's racial gerrymandering because clearly if we look at the Republican Party, which is all lily white with a few speckles of salt, uh, of pepper in there uh, around around the country, then what you're saying is the Republicans, 
if they're in control of that state house, they can draw the lines um, of those congressional districts any way they want to uh, based on the population of their party, and which is absolutely crazy and ridiculous. That's what the Supreme Court has, has, has ruled and saying that, hey, partisan gerrymandering is okay. We don't have a problem with that, uh, which ultimately means racial gerrymandering is fine as well. And then you had Trump declaring that uh, he was above the law, that his Article II powers gives him complete power. But I guess he had a surprise when Congress reminded him that Article I gave them the power to check him and also to check his power and ultimately impeach him. So in 2019, we reared our heads back up into white supremacy uh, in Texas and in other places across the country, but most recently in Texas. White folks creating manifestos, uh, shooting and killing um, Latinos or targeting Latinos. So it's not just African-Americans anymore. They're going after any person of color, and especially Latinos in Texas. They're, they're afraid that they're going to lose everything there. But we had some positive things, too, where we had the black community swear in 19 black women uh, as judges in Houston and Harris County. Uh, we had the first black mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, and then we had... Uh, 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 also, uh, African-Americans, uh, two African-Americans uh, uh, running for office and uh, Senator Harris and Senator Booker, unfortunately, they were fighting for the power of the black vote. And now Senator Harris is uh, out of the race and Senator Booker is still you know, holding on, trying to make sure he can raise the money to stay in the race to even get on the debate stage. So as we reflect over 2020, as we look in the rearview mirror uh, and look forward to, uh, excuse me, as we reflect in 2019 and look in the rearview mirror and look forward to 2020, what will this administration and the 2020 elections and Black America bring into the new year? And what will that impact be on our community? Joining me now is my guest and uh, one of my good friends and one of the uh, individuals I always turn to when I want a history lesson, when I want historical revelation and impact uh, into what we need to do as Black Americans, uh, especially politically, uh, socially, and economically. But I always turn to Dr. William, uh, Wilmer Leon. He is the host of uh, Inside the Issues with Wilmer Leon on XM Radio 126 on Saturdays at 11 a.m. He's also a former adjunct professor at uh, Howard University, uh, political science uh, uh, instructor, and uh, he's an author. Uh, and I think he's getting into a whole bunch of other things right now, but uh, certainly I welcome him to the show and thank him and appreciate him for taking time out of this holiday weekend to to, to join us and to share with us tonight. Uh, so welcome to the show, Dr. Wilma, and I appreciate you, my brother. As, as always, Kelly Michael Williams, an honor to uh, to be invited, and, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and to your audience. Absolutely. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. So sure. think back. Think back. I mean, I, I, I know you have a show on Mondays and Saturdays, and I, I was traveling this past Saturday, so I didn't get a chance to listen. Um, but tell me what, when you look back over 2019, what are some of the key moments that stick out to you? Well, you, you went through a very good uh, list of uh, what's been going on, and particularly w- when it comes to the police shootings. 
and those extrajudicial murders. You, I, I don't know if you mentioned the the the, the woman in uh, Dallas that shot um, Bertram John. Right, um, right. Uh, yeah, that one I think you might have you might have left out, but you had so many that you had to keep track of. That is it's understandable. Exactly. Um, but 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 no, but that's a. I mean, that's still that's still a, a, a huge problem. And it, to me, it speaks to a couple of things, and one of which is we talk a lot about uh, racism and white supremacy, but there's a fear that I think is the underlying element to the perceptions that a lot of white police officers bring into the circumstance. And and it's that fear that colors their perceptions of reality. And so I always ask the question on in circumstances like this, had the victim or the had the victim been white, would that cop, because of a different perception, given that individual just one more second of consideration? before the trigger was pulled, therefore sparing the life of that individual. Uh, right, exactly. And, and, in too many, and in too many of these circumstances, I, I believe the answer to that question would have been yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because I have actually seen YouTube clips and video uh, and from different parts of the country, but the one I'm thinking of right now, I think, was either in California or Louisiana, where... I think it was two cops talked and talked and talked. And I mean, literally kept talking to this white dude who had a, a, a rifle. I think it was, and guess just kept like, put the gun down, put the gun down, put the gun down. You know, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. Put the gun down. And they actually had out tasers instead of one had out his taser, one had out his gun or two had out their guns. One had out a taser and they just kept talking, kept talking. I mean, literally, you could see them sitting there talking to this dude for like 15, 20 minutes before finally the dude who had the taser went on and tased him. Um, and they come to find out the gun was unloaded, but then they go and arrest him. But then they say, oh, yeah, well, you know, he, he was mentally ill. There was something wrong with him. And I'm like, you have never given a black man 20 minutes of anything talking about put any gun down or anything else. You would have opened fire, shot him and said, we'll ask questions later. If it's unloaded, Oh well, his fault. He shouldn't have had the gun. So you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And and to the point of them talking to the to that other uh, uh, suspect and saying, "You don't want to do this. You don't want to do this." What I hear in that is, "We don't want to shoot you." Right. That's don't exactly what it make, is. Put the gun down. Don't make us shoot you. As opposed to uh, shoot first and ask questions later. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's exactly what it is. And and unfortunately, um, that happens all too often. Uh, the the case in Sacramento, which was huge, where uh, the, the 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 cop went into the backyard and 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 shot the brother who's back there for a barbecue. Just right. Back there and shot him. That's still a big issue in Sacramento. Uh, your hometown. I mean, hey, we, you know, yeah. your your town, yeah. my my town. I'm from I'm from I'm from Sacramento. Yes. 
Exactly, exactly. So that's a huge story that's still uh, causing waves uh, going on to this day. And I think that that case was, I think it was year before last, but it came to trial last year, I believe. Um, and I'm not quite sure even, um, I think he, the guy was convicted, but then he only got like 10 or 11 months or something like that. Um, Honestly, I don't, I don't remember the out. I don't remember the outcome of that one, so I, I'd have to look that one up. Yeah, I gotta look back at it, but I, I, I I'm thinking, uh, I think he may have gotten convicted, but I think the sentence was like just ridiculous um, and crazy about that. And then let's let's look at uh, some of the things that uh, like we have to deal with. Just the idea that we're in 20, 2020, going into twenty twenty, and we're talking about white supremacist uh, supremacists. Uh, coming out, marching out, and just all over the place, you know, just like, hey, we've been empowered, we've been emboldened, we can come back out of the closet now, and, you know, basically kiss our white asses, we we doing what the hell we want to do. It's all over the place. It's all over the place, and what I think people need to take away from that is, is you're, you're absolutely right, it's coming to the surface, but it's it's America as America has always been. Has always been. But but with the reaction to uh, former President Barack Obama and evidence of that reaction being the election of Donald Trump, people now uh, are, as you rightfully said, feeling incredibly emboldened and deciding that they are going to uh, put front and center, let let folks know whose country they believe it is. Right. And they're, and they're willing to uh, make it as clear as they possibly can, which, again, is, is something that's not being addressed. All right. All right. It, it's it's – totally being left in, as we say, swept under the rug, you don't hear unless something really, you know, big, violent, or, or bad happens, um, they, the, the media is not talking about it. They're not saying anything about it. They basically are ignoring it, uh, just as they are, are ignoring many of the things that are being said by these members of Congress, these elected officials, even Trump himself, that it's like, oh, well, he's just, you know, he's just being Trump again, or he's just talking again. If any of those things had been uh, President Barack Obama, there would have been firestorms, uproars. It, truly, yeah, he would have been impeached 10 times by now. And you would have <laughs> certainly seen them try to remove him from office uh, and wouldn't have ignored anything he said. And they certainly wouldn't have said, oh, well, I don't think he really meant that. He wasn't trying to really say that he wanted China to investigate anybody. No, he was just doing that for the media's purposes. He was just doing that to to get under your skin because he knew you were going to report on it. Yeah, because it's a violation of the Constitution and the law. Of course, they're going to report on it. But you guys are going to sweep it under the carpet. Show me, give me that comparison that you have historically of how President Obama would have been treated compared to how we're how these people are treating Trump now. Well, I I don't know that there is a historical comparison, <laughs> uh, but I, 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 yeah, given the were, fact 
fact that you Obama well, was the first, right, you know. Right. <laughs> there is no yeah. historical perspective uh, on that sense. <laughs> but it, but it, 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 is, it, it is amazing to me uh, how it, it is amazing but still not surprising how much latitude uh, Donald Trump has been given. And um, he because so much of what he is saying and so much of what he is doing is just in direct contradiction to some of our most uh, fundamental un- understandings of, of right and wrong. And uh, But at the same time, we can't lose sight of the fact that in spite of his incredibly boorish behavior, he's an American president. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you look at a lot of the policies that he's implemented, particularly many of which are being implemented through executive order, he's just not making stuff up. He's not pulling stuff out of out of the air. He's pretty much building upon and following upon policies of his predecessors, whether they be Democrat or Republican. And and so, yes, he is as nauseating as nauseating can be. He is about as unrefined and as boorish as anybody to have ever walked the earth. But when you look at his policies, when you look at Venezuela, when you look at um, um, Bolivia, when you look at Yemen, uh, when you look at Syria, he is building a – when you look at his most recent uh, um, decisions as it relates to Social Security disability benefits and uh, food stamps and, and, and the dramatic cuts that he wants to impose in those programs, he's building upon the uh, policies of the presidents that came before him, whether it was Barack Obama, whether it was George W., whether it was Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is the one that talked about redefining welfare as we know it. Right, right. Right? Yep. So, So it's important that we don't get distracted by particularly all of this impeachment chatter because as the House of Representatives was voting to impeach Donald Trump, they also passed out of the House of Representatives 188 Democrats voted for that National Defense Authorization Act, which gave $738 billion to the military, withdrew from the act the bipartisan uh, amendments that would have would have uh, made it increasingly more difficult for the president to attack Iran. And the Democrats, 188 Democrats, also voted out of the House that Defense Authorization Act, removing the amendment, which would have made it illegal for the United States to support Saudi Arabia as they continue to attack Yemen. And remember that Yemen moved was greenlit by Barack Obama. So, so we again, we 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 can't get lost in the chatter and the confusion 
we've got to stay focused on the policies. Right. And a lot of the policies, too, are coming directly out of the agencies. A lot of it's not coming necessarily from uh, legislation that's passing through Congress because he's not he's certainly not pushing anything through Congress uh, or through the Senate. But a lot of it's happening right there in the agencies, which you don't hear about. And they're not reporting on. Right. And it doesn't come out until right. it actually hits the ground and it's impacted uh, as as like with um, USDA. Uh, them getting rid of all of the scientists at USDA and even in the inspection crew, where now you have at USDA only two inspectors per, um, um, well, not per house, but per region for slaughterhouses of, of pork. You only have two inspectors and, now. And, and those your folks, point, the, and food those stamp, folks, the food stamp right. move comes out of USDA as well. Exactly. Exactly. And and now the food you have come out of the agriculture department. Agric- agriculture department, exactly. And um and now you have two individuals trying to basically check and inspect all this pork that's coming through these slaughterhouses and they're basically telling them they can self check themselves to make sure that uh that the, the meat is good and everything is okay. And the inspectors are saying, hey, beware, there's going to be contaminants coming out, and people are going to start getting sick and start dying. And it's, it's just crazy yeah. that, that you know, all this is happening. But like you said, it's not happening under the day of uh, – under the, the sun of light. It's happening in the dark because it's happening in these agencies where people aren't necessarily paying attention to what's going on in the agencies. They're only looking for what's happening outside. And it's important for people, I'm glad you brought that example up about meat inspection and the USDA, because one of the things that conservatives love to talk about is deregulation. Deregulation, deregulation, there's so much regulation, so much regulatory oversight that it, 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 it hinders business, it hinders capitalism, it impacts profit. Business must be, the reins must be taken off of business. But here's what gets lost in that conversation. On one side of the equation, yes, there is regulation and it is impacting business. But on the other side of the equation are the people that are being protected by the regulations that are put in place. And And so your example of, okay, we're going to deregulate the pork and beef, the slaughterhouse industry. We're going to let, let uh, um, agribusiness, Hormel or whoever the meat processing company is, we're going to let them check themselves. On the other side of that equation are going to be uh, individuals that are getting sick because they're eating ground beef with E. coli in it. Exactly. Exactly. And Another then you're going to have all these recalls. Another. Right. And you're going to have all these recalls around the country for all this beef, pork, and, and bacon and other stuff. Right. It's, it's going to be it's right. going to be crazy. Uh, you, you, it, you're going to have that happen more and more, and it's not going to come out until they realize, oh, there's only two inspectors there, and those inspectors don't even have the same power that they used to have because the right. – uh, uh, Purdue Secretary of Agriculture has stripped them 
of a lot of their power, where they've given the power back to the packing plant to say, oh, well, the, the, the inspectors can stop the, the tracks anytime they want to, but they're trying to now, uh, the belt, the speed of the belt, how fast that goes through, all those things now are no longer regulated by USDA. It's regulated by the, the, the slaughterhouse, and they can determine exactly how many pieces of meat go through and how many you check per minute uh, that you can get through. And it's things like that that's going on in energy, in agriculture, at uh, interior, at all the agencies that no one's paying attention to. And let's not forget justice. I mean, Bill Barr right. or William Barr has totally deregulated the Justice Department in every aspect and has now become the de facto attorney for uh, the White House to do any and everything that the White House says. I mean, they've gone against their own policies to defend uh, uh, themselves in court, which is absolutely crazy. Correct. You are I don't understand, I don't right. understand how yes. they're, they're even able to do all this. So look, let's look at uh, impact on African-Americans. What are some of the issues that you've seen or that you think back on 2020 that have impacted us as, as African-Americans? Healthcare. Dr. Um, Wilmer, you still the, there? Well, let, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Okay, I there said, you go. Okay. I said healthcare. Yeah. Um, we've got we've got healthcare. Uh, one of the one, but besides healthcare, one of the one of the biggest ones you mentioned in your op- opening statement, and that is what the Supreme Court is doing as it relates to elections, and and we are experiencing even right now with um, what's going on with removing people from the voting rolls in, in Wisconsin, removing people from the voting rolls in Georgia. Mm-hmm. They are already <laughs> and starting. Florida. And Florida. They are mm-hmm. already starting to impact the 2020 election, and it's, it, it, it's just not getting the level of attention that it, that it needs to get, and it is – predominantly people of color and students that are being impacted uh, by this by this voting purge. And isn't that just mind-boggling to you? I mean, it, it just, it, 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 I, if I didn't shave my head, I'd be pulling it out. I, it, <laughs> it, it, it's just crazy to me that this is happening in 2019, 2020, where we are going back to old Jim Crow uh, all these things of trying to make sure that black folks don't vote. I, you know, back then, and I, and, 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 and truly, I guess it's a repeat. I mean, cause clearly they were scared of black folks voting then and they're terrified of black folks voting now. So it, it's always the realization that, you know, white folks will always go back to doing what they know how to do and doing what they used to do best, which is always trying to suppress either the vote or the community, uh, or the people in some form or fashion. Well, you're absolutely right. But the, but the thing that is most alarming to me, not surprising, but alarming, is where is the Democratic Party in sounding right. the alarm? Exactly. This should be, this should be, one of the number one issues, whether it's at the uh, whether it's at the debates that they've been having, 
whether right. it is just in general uh, dialogue and conversation as uh, as whether they already be elected officials or whether they be candidates, this is what should be being discussed. The alarm, the clarion call should be coming from the Democrats since stereotypically they are supposed to be the ones that are looking out for the for the social interest in this country and they are just well, and and even on the heels of again this whole impeachment process right. and Nancy right. Pelosi it's, it's, is it's standing about before the American people it, it she says it's about democracy we have to do this because we have to protect our democracy but you're woefully silent in Wisconsin you're woefully silent in Georgia you're woefully silent in, in Florida. So right. what democracy are you supposed to be protecting? Right. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And and that and that that's the part that that get, gets me because um I I don't see Perez saying anything like you said. I don't see nope. uh, Pelosi saying anything about it. But yet nope. we're we're talking about it, but yet the only two people who are on stage ever say anything about it was was Cory Booker for the most part he was the one talking about the the voting and elections and it would come about you know uh in in other conversations but it was never a key focus that i can recall in any of the questions and any of the focus of the debate with the moderators and the people who were actually uh talking and and you know asking the questions and and guiding the candidates uh in the dialogue I don't believe or I remember anyone ever focusing on that. And this is going to be a repeat of 2016 because the same things that they're doing now, Chris Kobach and the cross-check program, they did this in 25 states across this country in the 2016 election. And one of the big mistakes of many, but one of the, one of the big mistakes that Hillary Clinton made was she thought she could sit silent on the voter suppression issue and overwhelm the issue with turnout. And she was sadly, sadly, sadly mistaken. All right. And 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 unfortunately Democrats do this every election cycle. They they yep. misread and they misunderstand the real target and key of where their base is and where the people are. And this whole idea that they want to go after, you know, the suburban white man thinking he's going to come back and as he as well, we got to bring him back. No, what you need to be focused on is those black women to make sure you get them there to where they can get their black men to follow suit. Because if you don't do that, those white boys ain't going to come back and vote for you. They, they, they stuck and they locked in with Trump and they're going to stay there or they're not going to vote at all. Or they're going to do an anti-vote and say, well, I'm voting against him and hold my nose, but they're still going to be locked on that same side of the, of the equation. And then I can come back on this side. I don't see that happening. And, and somehow they don't seem to understand that suburban white men care about democracy the same way urban black people care about democracy. Right. So it, it's it's not it's not as though these issues are mutually exclusive, and that somehow when you talk about one person one vote, when you talk about protecting democracy in this country, when you talk about standing upon the principles and precepts that the country was allegedly founded upon, 
that you that you you have to exclude white men when you talk about protecting the vote of people of color. Somehow, the the, 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 the in the minds of Perez and and Pelosi and all of those people, they seem to think that this is mutually exclusive. I can very simply construct a message for them that would highlight the fact that the fundamental tenets of this country are under attack. And I could very simply construct a message that would enable them to highlight the fact that this gerrymandering is racist, but the white, but, but the democracy that white people want to wrap themselves up in has to be protected as well. That's not hard to, that's not hard to construct. No, no. And in fact, Many times we have to do that because clearly they sit out there and think that, oh, well, uh, we, have to, we have to do one or the other. We can't do both. And who they, did they, they try to blame? Who did they try to blame when Hillary Clinton lost? Who did they try to blame? They try, oh, black people sat, sat right. at home, black people. No, that, the data does not support that argument. Now we can look at the data in Arizona, in uh, Arizona, and see it wasn't it wasn't that we sat at home. It was we were stricken from the rolls. When you look right. in Michigan, it wasn't right. that we sat at home. We were stricken from the rolls. In Pennsylvania, we didn't sit at home. We were stricken from the rolls. Same thing in North Carolina. Same thing in Florida. But but even a lot of black political scientists and other analysts wanted to blame black people for the Democrats uh, uh, for for, for the Democrats poor showing. It wasn't that. It was that the Democrats didn't stand up and protect our right to vote as uh, Congressman um, from Florida, Alcee Hastings, took the data, took Alcee Hastings took that data to Loretta Lynch in August before the election and said, I'm putting this cross-check data in your hands so that personally so that you will never be able to say you didn't get it, and, and they did nothing with it. And that, that's key because I, I'll be one to, to say that I certainly on this show plenty of times, especially the, the barber in Wisconsin, I always call him out. Uh, when he said, well, he didn't vote because he was just, he was fine with the gangster getting into the White House. And I used to uh, say, and, and, and you and I used to go back and forth about it too. I said, a lot of black folks were sitting there looking at this three strikes law and talking about Hillary did it, Hillary did it, did it. And I kept saying, well, no, Hillary didn't do that. That happened in California. But let me remind you too, that 28 of the 32 uh, congressional black caucus members at that time also supported the three strikes law. It just had uh, um, repercussions that they did not necessarily foresee because the bill, the way the bill was written was it was for violent offenders, but they then put every drug dealer up in there and used them being a drug dealer and then associated with a gang as being a violent offender. And they used that loophole to then put everybody back away for 25 years to life or whatever it was. So I was one of those people who was very critical of black folks not coming out and not showing out because they that Twitter storm was all about the three strikes and we're not going to support her because of three strikes. And I'm like, you fools, you didn't pay attention. You didn't look at 13th, the documentary, and you didn't pay attention to where it actually was. 
and half of you guys weren't even born to, to even know what three strikes was. You were just six years old at that time. So you didn't know what it was, but now you're trying to, now you're trying to jump on the bandwagon and say, this is what it is. This is what it is. So I'm going to sit at home and not vote for her. Um, I'd rather have the gangster in, in the white house. And now you wonder like how everything is coming apart and falling apart at the wheels. Uh, so I was one of those people who was critical of us at that time, because a lot of times we do sit at home and we don't get out and vote, especially during the midterms. That's, that's one of our biggest issues. Prayerfully, that won't be the right. case now, but certainly having uh, data that reflects the, the uh, purging is even more uh, validating and critical, especially what we know that happened in Georgia and Florida because of those roles and those uh, purges that they did right before the election of, uh, what was it, a, a million and a half people or 100 and, 130,000? Uh, some ridiculous number, I think, in Georgia. I think it was a million, a million four. They purged uh, just before the the election. Uh, you mean in in twenty sixteen? Correct, in Georgia. Or, uh, it was oh, twenty sixteen. Okay. okay. Twenty eighteen. When uh, when was Stacey running for office? She ran in twenty sixteen or twenty eighteen. Oh, that, that was eighteen. Yeah, that was eighteen. I so think, it was just think, before her. I think that was that was eighteen. Right. All right. Just before her election. Um, and then um, uh, just before, um, and they're doing, uh, and they're doing it again. Exactly, and they're doing it again because now the new uh, secretary of state has come in and done the same thing right. under the direction of the governor. Right. Exactly. And you don't hear, and, you don't hear any. No, you don't, the, you don't hear in the, in the Democratic Party leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't hear Rachel Maddow screaming about this the same way that she was raising the Mueller investigation and the, and the, the Steele dossier, all of that, which now has proven for all intents and purposes to be bogus. She, you know, she championed all that bogus foolishness about the Steele dossier and the Mueller investigation, but she won't raise voter disenfranchisement. She won't raise the same level of alarm about voter disenfranchisement, but she wants to find a Russian in every closet. <laughs> she wants to get the Russian in every every corner. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so, exactly. so when we look at all this and the and 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 I the 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 corruption that I see with not only the, the various secretaries and especially like Chris Cobal and, and the, 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 the shading that he was doing and price and all the other ones who have been who have left office, but those who are still there, even even um, Perry, Rick Perry, and, and his boys getting all these contracts down in, in uh, Ukraine now uh, for for whatever they're supposed to be doing, and, and now this other um, company that's got this contract with uh, the Build a Wall, that's not even apparently they're not even qualified to even have the contract, but they got the contract anyway. What do you see, or how do you see? The corruptness of this of this administration impacting African Americans because it's one of those things where we don't really look at it as saying it impacts us or what difference does it make how is that going to matter to us how do you see uh, this administration impacting us if it gets another four years well see I I see I see this administration impacting us the same way previous administrations have impacted us. There are, there are, on any given day, there are, what is it, 
533,000 homeless people in this country. Every single day, on Christmas Day, there were 533,000, and that's, and that's really just the, the tip of the iceberg. So some of that depends on how you – let me put it this way. That's a very conservative number. Right. Because of right. the way home, homelessness is defined. Let me put it that way. That's a very conservative number. So that did not happen just since 2016. That and it, and it and the and the projections are it could cost as little as twenty to thirty million dollars to to substantially impact that problem. But nobody wants to really talk about it in a tangible, uh, uh, policy-driven manner. So it's not just this administration. Donald mm-hmm. Trump is an American president, and he's doing what his predecessors have done. So, so again, yes, he's a nauseating, boorish, racist, uh, ho- uh, homophobic, misogynistic pig. Yes, we understand that. But that's not what's driving policy. And that's what I think we have to really start to focus on. This is American well, well, you, government let me ask you this. policy. But let me ask you this, Wilmer. I mean, when we you talk about driving policy, isn't it isn't isn't it Stephen Miller driving the policy? Isn't he the one that's pushing a lot of the policies that they are doing, uh, especially when it comes you to are, uh, racial and and cultural issues? You are correct, but my point is whether it's Stephen Miller driving the policy or or whether it is Valerie Jarrett driving the policy, a lot of the policies are the same. All Donald Trump is doing is building upon what has come before him. It was Ronald Reagan that started the whole attack on welfare recipients in this country as we look at the neoliberal policies of the of the Reagan administration, and then Bill Clinton just took what Reagan did and ran with it exponentially. Right. And then and then and then George Bush did it, and Barack Obama did it, and now now uh, Donald Trump is doing it. Look at the policy in Venezuela. Look at the United States attack on Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. Donald Trump didn't start that. Donald Trump built that upon what Barack Obama did before him. And Barack Obama built upon what George Bush did before him. And we can go all the way back to American Latin, to American foreign policy in 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 Latin America since the Monroe Doctrine. Right. So so it's 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 I think we back ourselves into an artificial corner when we want to try and limit the conversation to Donald Trump. And 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 so my question, and, and, and going back to Venezuela, Nancy Pelosi said a number of times that she was down with the move against Maduro in Venezuela. And Elizabeth Warren said she's down with the 
uh, overthrow of um, who's the brother Bolsonaro in 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 uh, in Bolivia. In Bolivia, these are these are democratic democratically elected, yes, democratic socialist government in Venezuela in Bolivia. But they were elected in fair and free elections. And you have Democrats. One is, one is the Speaker of the House. The other is a presidential candidate out of the Senate saying that they want to defend democracy in the – allegedly defend democracy in the United States, but they don't have a problem with U.S. regime change in other countries. But Rachel Maddow isn't talking about that. And I just, and, I just, I just pick on her because she's supposed to be the most liberal voice on television. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, and she usually comes up with a, a, a lot of um, uh, stories behind it that others aren't really talking about that she can pull out and it, and bring to exactly. the fore. Like, and, and and she typically does that. She she certainly does that. That is certain her. Um, her mo for her show is that she she finds the story that no one else is talking about and she pulls it out and, and makes it a, a big issue and a big story and it, it runs you know, it runs gamut. And one more one more quick example. I, I keep going back to this. The the United Nations has declared the atrocities that the Saudi Arabian government is committing in Yemen. Those mm-hmm. deaths and and mayhem. The United Nations has declared that to be what. The worst man-made humanitarian crisis in history, uh-huh. and that and that right now is being perpetrated by the Trump administration. But who's the president that greenlit it in the first place? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. So we can't we can't talk about Donald Trump as though he operates in a silo or exists in a vacuum. He is an imperialist American president that is following in the footsteps of previous imperialist American presidents. Who was the one that convinced Barack Obama to murder Muammar Gaddafi? Hillary Clinton. It was Hillary Clinton, a Democrat, that convinced Barack Obama to murder Muammar Gaddafi, which opened up more mayhem, mayhem than, in that region than the than the in the region than the illegal invasion of of Iraq did. So we've got to be very consistent in our analysis. And to your point, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If you're going to criticize Donald Trump. You've got to criticize his democratic enablers as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 bring bring light to it. As I as I said in the opening, you know, when we want to did a historical look back and understand exactly all the things that um, we can look at and compare to, right? That's 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 who mm-hmm. I call. I call you because I know well, you okay. you 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 will have that historical nature uh that will give us some light and understanding. Yes, we see these things under one administration and there's no light shined on it, so we don't know either how good or how bad it is. 
and then the next administration exactly. comes in and there's a clear light shined on it because clearly uh, either there's there's a difference in the policy, there's a difference in the ch- in, in something going on, but there's it's highlighted. So now there is a, a, a beaming light, a spotlight shining on it. So you see all the things that are going on. You see it more and more rapidly um, uh, 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 in your face. And so it, 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 it can appear to be worse than it was before, or it can be, appear to be better than it was before. But certainly there's a, 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 clear, a clear understanding of, of what's happening and there's a comparison that you can draw. And a lot of things, I will agree with you, a lot of things that Trump has done has been sort of like the status quo of just leaving it as it, as it was with, other, with the past administration. Because uh, he didn't make any changes, I think, with um, – I can't remember what was the – which uh, – who it was with. But it was, it was essentially the same policy that Barack Obama had that he criticized, the Republicans criticized, everything they criticized. But yet he did nothing new. He didn't do anything different except uh, give some blustering talk about, oh, we're going to make you pay. We're going to make you pay, but left it the same. I think it may have been Syria. I can't remember, um, but it may have been someone else. It, it could have been either, even even the Yemen policy. It may be the Yemen policy that you're talking about. But I remember uh, Republicans criticizing Obama for it, but you know, essentially went silent. And Trump essentially did the exact same thing, and they said nothing. And, and so, so you're right. So, so you, and, and you mentioned Stephen Miller. So what Stephen Miller does, has done has been very successful in doing is just taking the policies from the predecessors and then just ratcheting them up exponentially. So right. you know the the, but he's still building upon a lot of the same policies. And here's, here's another, this has nothing to do with Stephen Miller, but I just want to throw out another, another issue, which is the economy. And there, and there's all of this discussion about how well the economy is doing. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of individuals that keep parroting that same narrative that the economy is doing well. Well, yeah. Uh, Bank of America is doing well. Wells Fargo Mm -hmm. is doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the financialized J.P. Morgan Chase is doing well with Jamie Dimon. Um, right. uh, uh, they so the financialized side of the economy is doing well. If you have a 401k, you are very pleased with the performance of your 401k over the last uh, 18 or, or 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 months or so. Correct, um, correct. But that's a very small percentage of this population. They're mm-hmm. not talking about why wages have not kept up with the rate of inflation. They're right. not talking about, yeah, the employment numbers are low, but one of the mistakes that gets made is they want to try to do a one-to-one comparison between the employment numbers and the job numbers, as mm-hmm. though it's one person working per job. No, right. one of the main one of the main reasons why the job numbers are what they are is because you have this gig economy and you have one person working multiple jobs just to be poor. 
Exactly. That's not getting <laughs> just just to be poor. You're exactly right. Just to be poor. Right. And that's impacting the African American community. Exactly. So but again, Bernie Sanders is one of the few that continues to draw attention to the to the to the reality. And the, I mean the data is what the data is. It, it, this is not hard to debate that the economy isn't doing nearly as well as Donald Trump wants to make it out to be. Exactly. Because, again, it's when the mistake that they make is unemployment number low, job number high, therefore everybody's working a job. No. You've got mm-hmm. multiple – you've got one person working multiple jobs and – they're not getting benefits from those jobs. They're they're not, exactly. They're not getting any benefits. No. So so when you then try to equate, well, what's your quality of life from all of this work that you're putting into the system? And mm-hmm. no, you're still – you're working three jobs and still struggling. You don't still have health care. Right? You, you don't have a pension. You don't have a 401k program. Mm-hmm. You right. don't have child care. Right, and you got terrible health care. Yep, if any at so, all. That's impacting the black community. It's not getting articulated. So, where do we go from here, Doctor Warmer? What 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 happens twenty twenty um, as people begin to focus on the election, focus on what they feel is, is going to be the, the, the issues at hand, and healthcare will certainly come up, but uh, jobs may or may not come up as, as prominently as it should, given the, the state of the verbal economy. Uh, what do we have to look for? What, what are the things that we need to focus on so that we can make sure that we can pay attention and our issues are highlighted, expressed, and discussed? We need, we need to be paying attention to reality. We can't sit idly by and trust the commentators on television and all of these narratives about how well the economy is doing. And, um, no, and, and we need to be asking Donald Trump, where are you on the promises that you made? Uh, you told us manufacturing was going to come back in this country, right? And it right. hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, Nancy, fact, Nancy you've Pelosi, had more, you've had you, more manufacturers close than actually start. There you go. Uh, here's another uh, example of the inconsistency in the narrative. Nancy Pelosi and this NAFTA, this revive, this uh, NAFTA revision. Why did the Democrats give Donald Trump that talking point? when what they actually wound up negotiating was nowhere near any better than, than, than NAFTA was to begin That's with. The, the old the NAFTA, in, exactly. The, exactly. And the, and, the, and the impact that that's going to have on working people in this country. So when we go to these rallies, when we go to these forums, when we are listening to these candidates, people need to be standing up asking the real questions. Here's the data. Explain to me why my life is not any better. And this isn't just black people. This is white people as well. This, these are farmers in, in Idaho and, and, and milk, dairy farmers in Wisconsin and, 
and and uh, you know uh, this yeah. whole this whole uh, 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 sanctions regime that the president has imposed as it relates to trying to allegedly trying to negotiate with China that's hitting American farmers. The the the, right. the, the, the cut in the cut in the welfare uh, in the food stamp program that's going to impact farmers because yeah. the welfare the the food stamp program comes out of the Department of Agriculture. Yeah, but a, but a lot of people aren't connecting those dots, and so we programs excellent programs like yours. Hopefully, what I'm doing with my program is connecting these dots and getting people to understand the reality behind these numbers. Hey, I look at my 401k program, it's doing great. But that's not the point. The point is not why is my 401k doing great. The point is why doesn't the average working American in this country have a pension? Yeah, that is the question. That's the question. Yeah. That is the question. That is the question. And who was it? Who was it that undermined the pension program in this country in lieu of corporate interests and 401k programs? That's the question somebody needs to pose to uh Elizabeth Warren. Mhm. Or Amy Klobuchar. These folks that claim to be looking out for American uh, interests, answer that question. How did anybody in Congress ever allow American pensions to go away in lieu of the 401K program? And whose interests were really being protected and and who got thrown under the bus? Right. Because that was that was early the late late eighties. That was the late eighties. Because uh, I remember, exactly. I remember uh, I had gone into selling annuities uh, as a little side hustle because all the pension plans were being wiped out and stripped out, and right. companies were basically laying people off just before they got to that point where they could get their pension. And uh, basically taking the dollars and, and, and running, saving, you know, taking the money and running. And then as, that's also when exactly. we started seeing more and more of the uh, busting of the collective bargaining of the unions and um, being able to basically get those pensions and, and argue and fight for them when they started busting it. And that came under, under Reagan and Bush, uh, Reagan and Bush one, uh, Herbert. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 so as we look at as we look at uh, corporations today taking greater profit, buying back their own stock, paying large dividends, and paying multi-million, if not billion-dollar salaries to their executives, nobody of any real substance is asking the question: Why couldn't that money be put back into the companies the or corporations that right. the pension plans, right, right. The but then you had plans. then you had people like um, um, Chris Christie and others, and and the the uh, uh, Kasich, 
going after right. and 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 uh, what's his name Walker going after the the pensions of the public employees uh, in those states and saying, oh no, we 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 we're taking this. You you guys can't have this anymore. Right. You you guys got too much money. You've invested too much money. You, you you're gonna you're gonna be able to have this pension that uh, you've worked for for thirty forty years uh, as a public servant. Of, of, of the city, of, of the state, but we're not going to give you your pension for it. We, we're going to take that and we're getting rid of collective bargaining. We're getting rid of all this. We're taking those pensions and we're going to use those for our, our budget because we've got too many cuts that we've made that we don't have money to fill up, to backfill it from anywhere else because we're not asking people to pay any taxes because we want all this money to come back to the corporations. Absolutely right. They, they, so those are the conversations so, you know, so when I'm asked the question, what do we focus on? What, hey, you, you, need, you, you need to focus on this data. And it's not, it's not nearly as complex as people want to make it out to be. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 here's a very simple question that anybody so listening to this program, let, okay. let me give you one, good, one simple example. And I'm going back to something I mentioned earlier. How can 188 Democrats vote on giving the Department of Defense $738 billion, but you still don't have clean drinking water in Flint, Michigan? You don't have clean drinking water in Newark, New Jersey. Right. That's that's a very – and these are Democrats that did this. Right, right. Right. That to me, answer that question, and then you know, because the answer to that question will uncover a lot. We keep we've been sold this bill of goods that we don't have the money to invest in infrastructure. We don't have the money to invest. In education, no, we've got the money. It's just we've got where the money. we have chosen to spend it. Right? Do, do we have the political will to do what it is, or even the moral will to do it? Because clearly, um, like you said, uh, you can you can you can give seven hundred billion in defense, but you can give a hundred million to Flint to clean those pipes up and and get get those that water in, so you can save some some babies' lives. You, and you how can't many do that. jobs could you create? How many jobs exactly. would you create if you did a good-paying labor, uh, you know, construction jobs if you started to clean up the water systems in this country, if you started right. to put solar on every right. house in this country? Yeah. Think about the jobs you could create if you started to attack homelessness let me tell you the simple way to attack homelessness in this country. Have the president have the president determine that homelessness is a national emergency. A national emergency. The same way that he's declared his wall and in, in immigration right. is a na- right. illegal immigration is a national right. emergency. Have him right. declare homelessness. Because let me tell you something. That is a national emergency. It is because right. as the as the distance between the haves and the have-nots increases Gross. in this country, 
Yep. Those disaffected have-nots will eventually turn mm-hmm. on their country. Mm-hmm. That's where your national crisis comes from. And and real quick, because you you just you hit something that I just saw this past weekend, um, and it and and although it's taken us back to to the politics of things, is that um, I was reading that uh, white folks said they don't they will declare a civil war <laughs> in this country if Trump loses. Yeah, that. That oh, that is nothing but but bluster in, in in my opinion. That that's bluster and foolishness, and that is a less than subtle way of 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 folks who are incredibly irresponsible trying to galvanize his base. That that's that's my opinion. The civil war is going to come on a class basis. Before mm-hmm. it comes on on this, and that and that was my earlier point about the haves versus the and have them exactly that's, exactly that's why I brought it up because I was saying that's going to be I, yeah, I that's going exactly, to be a class warfare yeah yeah because people when they get hungry and they can't they they work and they can't eat they can't, you are going to see that uprising you're going to see that uprising but the idea that folks are saying oh well I'm going to we're going to pull up arms and and defend uh, this uh, election by saying, well, if he doesn't win, then therefore we're going to start a civil war as if he could not lose or as if, if losing meant that it was somehow um, uh, crooked. <laughs> Need I say that word? Crooked or, or uh, um, illegal or in some form or fashion, uh, 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 un, unjustified, as if as it pertains to Donald Trump, if anything. And and this is why I two things really quickly. One, this is where I ask the Democratic Party, where are you on the right side of the issues, and where are you? And I'm not speaking about any particular candidate. I'm talking about the party overall. Where are you on the right side of history, and where are you on the right side of the issue? And the other thing is, this is why I've always said, following along the lines of the Deacons for Defense and the and the uh, Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, more black people better get hip and better start legally, and I underscore legally, owning firearms and training yep. firearms. Yes, indeed. I, I said, I said, I said that. I think we, had, I think you and I did a show on that. We started talking about, yeah, we did a show on that. Absolutely right. Black, black folks better start bearing. They start bearing their arms the same way these rest of the folks are doing it. They, they better start doing it. Yeah, absolutely what did, right. What did, what did, uh, what did, what did Sonny Corleone say to Fat Clemenza about planting the gun <laughs> in the in the restaurant? He said, when Mike comes out of that bathroom, he better have something other than his. Johnson in his hand. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when these, when these, when these, when these Trump folks decide that they're gonna start a civil war, mm-hmm. okay, if they're foolish, mm-hmm. foolish enough to do foolish that, to do hey, it. right? Y- y'all, y'all better come out your front door with something other than other than your finger in your nose. 
That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Better have, because you better have there are enough foods head. out there. Right. There are enough foods out there that will try to do that. There are. I mean, you Absolutely. had a. You you, you had um uh uh my man in South Carolina. He wanted to start a race war by going to the church and shooting up people. Then you had the one Dylan who wrote Roof. the manifesto, Dylan Roof. You had the uh, dude to write the manifesto in in um, Waco to uh, is it Waco or uh, El Paso? Right. El Paso to come out there and shoot up everybody. Right. So and there's, there's right, and then in Charlottesville, right. So you have enough tiki torch carrying fools out there that will do just that, right. believing and thinking, oh yeah, we can do this and we'll win because I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to die for this and be a martyr for this and and my 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 skinhead or white supremacist, my my clan's friends or whatever you want to call them, they'll be right behind me and they'll support all this. And the and and the problem with that is. They're absolutely right. There will be enough fools to support and go with them um, on that. They they do that. What did what did uh, what did Tom Tancredo say as the first spokesman for the Tea Party? We want our country back. Back right. And mm-hmm. and the Tea Party, you know, a lot of people have forgotten that, but the Tea Party was the precursor to a lot of this pro-Trump foolishness that we're seeing oh, right. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they came out, I mean, and, and that was the thing, too. They came out in 2010, literally a year later, and Democrats folded then by not pushing through a lot of the legislation and a lot of the policies that they wanted to push through. They were too busy, and that was Obama's fault, and, what, and partly is that they were trying to be too um, cordial to Republicans. Given that it, right. Mitch McConnell said, I don't want you in here. You're going to be one-term president. I don't want you in here. So why do you want to go back and try to work with him or try to give him something? And that's why Democrats are pissed off at Obama because all the things that he passed were Republican policies that they passed that he was doing trying to reach across the aisle to do things. And they got so jacked up and pissed off that he's like, okay, well, it's not working, but I want to keep trying to work with him. That's why I said I I was thinking that he should put Loretta Lynch. He should have appointed Loretta Lynch to the Supreme Court and made them kick her off the bench when they came in, right? Because he he didn't get uh, um, uh, Merrick Garland. I said redisappoint her. And you're saying Loretta Lynch, she's right. she's black and a woman, and a woman, right? And she's attorney general, so. You would not have a problem confirming her, but recess appoint her to that bench, let her sit on that bench as a first black woman, and let them then take her off. That would have been a rallying cry for 2016 for black folks to vote, and also would have been one for 18 to make sure that they won the Senate back. Because you would then be able to use that, that they took her off the bench as a, as a point Absolutely. of just racist and, and, and not allowing her to sit there and do you know all the things, trying to take his uh, rightful right to appoint whoever he wants to the Supreme Court away from him, use that as that as that torch or that rallying cry to say, this is why you come out. Shoot, you would have had more there black you women. You, you would have had everybody out there voting. The white women who absolutely would have supported right. it, they would have been out there voting and doing that, and they would have said, absolutely not, are we going to take her off the bench? We are not going to take her off the bench because you already held up the rightful hearing that they should have had and put out there. But they didn't do that. And I'm, and I'm still saying to myself, you still aren't talking about Supreme Court. You're still not talking about these right. 170 people that have been appointed to these federal benches. This last dude right. 
who is 36 years old, who has never tried a case, never been in a courtroom. I they, they're even talking about how he got his law degree. <laughs> I mean, it's right. crazy. It is crazy, and, they, is and they're constant, and they're constantly putting these people up. And it's like, are you are you serious? Are you kidding me? What's oh, the state for us, Doctor? What's the state for us, man? Everything. Everything is at stake. And 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 this is and you know uh, this is kind of the uh, the idea of of uh, boiling boiling the frog in the pot, and that when you turn up. The heat slowly, the frog doesn't realize that he's about to be cooked and boiled to death. And so this is, I, I don't think that I'm being hyperbolic. I don't think that, that I'm being over the top with my rhetoric. Um, no, but that's a great analysis is, is, right there. That, that right there, that analysis right there is prime because that is exactly what is happening. People are falling asleep at the wheel, not paying attention, and they're sitting at that stoplight, you know, oh, oh, okay, all right. And like you said, it's being slowly turned up where they don't realize they're being cooked to death. And let me give you an example. You said you sold annuities, so you might you might see this, and I don't hear anybody talking about this, the, 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 the reverse mortgage. This new financial, relatively new financial product called the reverse mortgage, where people, where older people can take the uh, equity out of Mm -hmm. their homes, live off that equity, and not have to worry about monthly payments on that money. When they die, basically the house goes to the bank. Now, I'm not, I'm not doing analysis on whether or not a reverse mortgage is a good financial product. What I'm asking is, why is that necessary in 2019? And the reason is because people are living longer. They don't have um, pensions. Right. And they didn't put enough money in their 401Ks, so they are outliving their retirement. I don't mm-hmm. hear anybody asking that question. That, and to yeah, me, that's an example question. of how that's a, that's an example of how you're slowly being boiled in the pot. Mm. You Powerful get to be question. seventy-two, seventy-three, and you don't have enough money to live on. Yeah, exactly. And we're we're I think ten years away because I'm look I'm sixty so I, I'm looking at I'm looking at my generation we're the ones that are in ten to twelve years are gonna wake up look outside and realize we don't have a damn thing. Mm. That's us. Look that's at, serious. And, and if, 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 that's 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 serious. That's serious. That is. And, that um, is. Hey man, and look at oh my look goodness. at and, and these numbers. These numbers are real. Right. 
these numbers are real. Uh, uh, the the average wealth, the, the 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 wealth of an average white family is a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Right. The average accumulated wealth of a black family eleven thousand is, is uh eleven hundred. Eleven hundred. Not eleven thousand. No, no, it was eleven thousand. Eleven hundred. You better go back and check that. Eleven hundred. Oh my God. And what they're projecting for the average accumulated accumulated wealth of a black family ten years from now is going to be a negative number. <laughs> and a big part of that problem was exacerbated as a result of the mortgage crisis when a disproportionate number of black people lost their prime source of wealth, which was their home. Exactly. Exactly. And who was the the president when that happened? Mm -hmm. Barack Obama. Obama. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not... We could, we, I'm not saying that to blame him in the context of this conversation. What, I'm, what I keep getting back to, folks, is as far as black people are concerned, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies. enemies. Permanent Only interest. permanent interests. Permanent That's interests. Right. Permanent right. interests. Yeah. Yeah. We don't work on that. We, I mean, we, we recognize that and realize that, but, but unfortunately – as as a collective, uh, we don't work on that to understand that that's how we need to see things. Exactly. The, we need to get away from the politics of phenotype and pigment and focus on the politics of policy. Exactly. Because that's exactly. what matters. Because those policies that's are going to be matters. the things that's going to impact your economic situation Moreover than anything else. And what should we do? Well, let me tell you what I'm doing. I I have put together a, uh, again, I'm 60 years old, and I realize I got, I'm in pretty good health, pretty good shape. I can go hard for another 10 years. Mm -hmm. I got to go hard in terms of work, product, in terms of, generation of income, I got to go hard and save for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And and I say that I, I did pretty good for myself up to this point. Right. But, I, but I'm looking at the numbers saying, my son's getting ready to go to college. I'm looking at the numbers saying, oh my God, I got to, I got to go hard now. Now. Mm-hmm. And I and I'm giving myself ten years. Over the next ten years, I, I it's overdrive now. So that when I'm seventy, I can sit back and be fairly comfortable in my retirement. Mm-hmm. Do what you got to do, but, lot of, but still be comfortable. I, hey man, I got a lot of I got a lot of contemporaries that they don't know how they're going to retire. They they don't have anything. Right. They don't have Seriously. anything. So that's that's all I got for you Seriously. right now. <laughs> that's serious. 
Well, as you said, what's at stake? Everything. Well, everything. 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 And serious, 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 serious. Amen. It's it, man. It's oh my God. It's 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 And I it's say crushing. that as a can, as a kidney cancer survivor. Kidney survivor, it's right? It's kidney yes. cancer. And, and I've had it. It's, it's, it's had coming. It. It's coming. Real it's, quick, give no, us something it, that we can look forward to in twenty twenty. It's here. Exactly. Exactly. It, no, it's what, here. What do we look forward to in twenty twenty? I'm hoping in twenty twenty that there will be a, a serious over the next probably four or five months that there will be a serious recognition that uh, people need to pay attention to Bernie Sanders. And they need to listen to what Bernie Sanders is talking about. And that the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortezes of the world and the Rashida Talibs of the world and the Ilhan Omars of the world and the uh, Presley, the, uh, what's the sister up in uh, Massachusetts? Ayanna Presley. Ayanna Presley. Ayanna Presley. And uh, that 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 wing of the party is going to get a lot more traction than it's getting right now, because a lot of what those women and what Bernie is articulating is real. Is real. It's real. Let me just it's quickly. Real, but 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 are, is is the majority of the party ready and willing to relinquish to it? Is the problem, and of I only got not. a few minutes left. Of course, I only not. got a few minutes left because that is something that I, I in listening to what Bernie's saying, it, it's resonating. It's it's very real. It's very true. But then you come to the point of realization of will they, in a general election, decide that they're going to go for that? Because what I'm sensing is that people they want the change, but they don't want it immediate like that. They want it phased in. They want it, but they want to be able to, one, get the White House back and then be able to do it. I don't know if they're really ready from a independent and a, a moderate Democrat to even the, the, the um, middle of the, of the party uh, willing to give the party to Bernie. I don't know that they're willing to that- do that to get there. And that's and why think, Bernie says, and and that's why Bernie says, when he was asked if, during the 2016 election, how are you going to do this? Bernie said repeatedly, I'm not going to do it. The people are going to do it. The people have to do this. No, is them is 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 the leaders is Tom Perez and that crew are they going to re- relinquish it to Bernie? No. Will the <laughs> disaffected people in this country rise up and? force them to do it, that's what has to happen. This takes me right back to the to the Brown v. Board of Education decision. And what was the big thing with that? With all deliberate speed. Why? Right. Because you had a lot of people in this country that felt that uh, America wasn't ready for integration. Right. America right. is right. never ready for change. Right. They aren't. An imperial hegemon an imperial hegemon is never ready for change. Two quick right. things. One, um, uh, 
the 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 sister from California that dropped out. Uh, Kamala, oh, Harris. Kamala Harris, right? Yeah, we were Kamala, supposed to talk about Kamala her. Harris, got, I got Kamala Harris said something to me that was very very telling in the first um, or second debate, and I think it went by a lot of people when she said. A lot of people are demanding systemic change. I am not going to provide systemic change. When she said that, she lost me forever. Mm. Because when you look at the things that are impacting the least of us in this country, the solutions Mm -hmm. to those issues come from systemic change. Change, right. The other thing I'm going to say Bernie Sanders said in the last debate, talking about foreign policy, I grew up in Israel. I lived in Israel. The the, uh, Israelis need a place to live, but so do the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And Benjamin Netanyahu is a racist. Mm -hmm. When Bernie said that, I said, go ahead, Bernie. I'm with you. Yeah, right. Because that's real talk. What Kamala Harris was giving you was just more pablum and more of the status quo and more of the same. Well, Dr. Uh, Leon, I got to leave it right there because I got about 30 oh, seconds man. to get out of here. This has been excellent, man. I greatly appreciate you. I thank you so much. You I want to keep going, but I don't have more time on the clock because <laughs> I, would, I would keep it going, and we can put another 20 minutes on a, on the, on a meter and just keep on talking. But I want to thank you. I want to wish you a happy new year. I want to take it. you into 2020. I'm going to look forward to seeing you uh, on the show again. And certainly, what's at stake for us, ladies and gentlemen? Everything. And that's Everything. coming from Dr. Wilma Leon. <laughs> Everything is at stake for us. Until next week. Until next time, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black Politics Today. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.